Good morning. Whew. So I got caught up in the music, and that's the first time I think I've ever had to run from the back to the front. So I'm <laughs> catching catching my wind here as we. Well, let me uh, let me say, for those of you who were here last week, uh, we've started the Out of the Grace series. We're ending it this week. So uh, real quick, one, two. Uh, if you didn't get a chance to be here last week and hear uh, part one. I'll do a little recap for you, but it's also available on the Facebook page for Exponential Church. Um, Gilbert posted it this morning, so you can go back and listen to the podcast from last week. But just to bring you up to speed, which by the way, we're glad to have the team back. Yay. Welcome back, guys. Everybody looks a little bit more tan. Sure, we're going to hear many, many stories of uh, all, the, all the things that happened down there in Haiti. Um, Last week, we explained the computer hacker language, the computer hacker imagery of white hats, black hats, and gray hats. You know, that coming from the old Western movies, the good guys always wore the white hat, the bad guys always wore the black hat, and the people that you weren't really sure what side they were on, they wore the gray hats. Um, And so last week, we, we talked about that, and we went into Psalm 1, and we saw that from God's perspective, there really are only two directions to go. So the, the path of the wicked is simply the gray hat becoming a black hat. Remember that from last week? It's the gray hat becoming the black hat. And, and, but being delighted in God's word and knowing it so well that our every decision in our daily life is, is informed by or led by God's word, that is the path of the white hat. That is the path that, that is finding life and, and understanding and seeing God's provision, God sustaining, God helping, God encouraging, God directing and leading. I asked you last week to honestly consider what hat you wear. And I admitted that for most of us, as we look at ourselves in the culture, we're probably wearing the gray hat more often than not, because the gray hat is the one that feels safe. It's the only one that our culture really accepts. And the temptation to wear the gray hat is really, really strong, because honestly, none of us like confrontation, right? And, and to wear the white hat, by definition, you are putting on the opportunity for confrontation. This week, we're not, we're not as easily left off the hook. You know, like Bill said, we don't get into Jude very often, but Jude, whew, there's a reason why Jude only wrote one chapter. The book of Jude is one chapter. The, the, the guy knew how to put it like straight to you. And he kind of like, he loves you at the beginning and then he, and he cuts right through and then he loves you at the end. So we're going we're gonna to see that. But this week, we need to decide once and for all, and, and when I say that, you know, if you walk out of here this morning, you say, well, I didn't decide anything. Well, okay, so you're being invited to decide once and for all. So if you happen to not make a decision about where you stand, I encourage you, don't waste time in that. But I'm going to invite you this morning to make a decision, to make a decision about where you stand. Not just what hat am I wearing but which path am I going to intentionally take my life down? I want to pray because, there's a, like I said, Jude is pretty intense, and I want whatever I share to, to do honor and justice to what God wants to say here this morning. So would you pray with me? Father, we thank you for the opportunity again to be together. And I ask, Lord, that as, uh, as we go into the book of Jude and the, and the letter that he wrote to the church, Lord, you would, you would help me to have words that are faithful to what you desire for us to wrestle with today. I, I pray that you would edit on the fly anything that I've prepared that you don't desire me to say. And 
If I say something that you don't desire, that you would edit on the fly in the hearing, that we would, we would hear what you desire. But most of all, Lord, that whatever we hear this morning out of your word, we'd be challenged and we'd be encouraged, as Jude intended, for us to draw near to you and make a stand and make a stake in where we live in our culture, as our culture continues to drift into and live in the gray. God, we thank you for this morning, in Jesus' name, amen. All right, so go ahead and turn to Jude, uh, and while you turn there, if you have your Bibles with you, if you don't have your Bibles with you, flip there on your app. If you don't have uh, your app with you, we'll have it on the screen, and if you need a Bible, stop by the Welcome Center on your way out. Uh, we'd be happy to give you a Bible so you can study on your own. There was something I learned when I was a criminal justice student, that somebody who uses the um, letter of the law to undermine the spirit of the law is still a lawbreaker. Does that make sense to you? Somebody who uses the technicalities of the law to technically be innocent, but they're doing it to get away with something that violates the spirit of what that law was intended to enforce, they're still a lawbreaker. That's important for us as we go into Jude because, uh, <laughs> like I said, Jude kicks it off right away here for us in, 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 in greeting the church, but greeting us in a way that, that he just, he kind of puts it out there and says, hey, this is, this is where I am. This is where we should be. Where are you? So as you get in there, uh, again, it's, it's one chapter, it's 25 verses. If you haven't found it yet, go to Revelation. Uh, if you have your actual Bible with, you know, go to Conch. The book of Conk, for those of you who know the concordance, I have a couple extras in there. I have genal, topic, and witamimus. I don't know what that is, but I think that's maps. Uh, when oh, no, maps is back here. So anyways, go to Revelation, make a left, and uh, don't miss Jude, because if you go too far, uh, you're, you're all the way back to John again. So Jude, chapter 1, verse 1. We're just going to read the first couple of verses here. Jude, a servant of Jesus Christ and a brother of James, to those who have been called who are loved by God the Father and kept by Jesus Christ. Mercy and peace and love be yours in abundance. Dear friends, although I was very eager to write you about the salvation we share, I felt I had to write and urge you to contend for the faith that was once for all entrusted to the saints. For certain men whose condemnation was written about long ago have secretly slipped in among you. They are godless men, godless people, who change the grace of our God into a license for immorality and deny Jesus Christ, our only sovereign Lord. Now, right there in the greeting, we, we sort of miss it in this translation because he says, Jude, a servant of Jesus. But the word he uses there in Greek is, is actually bond servant. And, and let me take a moment just to kind of explain what a bond servant was. Uh, a bond servant was someone who chose to be a slave. Not somebody who had to be a slave, but they chose to be a slave. See, back in Jesus' day, the, the, slavery was a little bit different than sort of our historical American context of slavery. Slavery was a matter of, uh, normally, don't get me wrong, there were still people who were forced into slavery and, and so on as we understand it. But in his culture, a lot of the slaves were people who just simply owed a debt. And so they would work for the person they owed the debt to until that debt was paid. And when the debt was paid, they were a freed person again. Now, they were normally treated very well because the master wanted them to complete their service and pay off the debt. So they were well cared for, and then all the work that they did kind of went towards that debt. 
Occasionally, you would have a, a servant, a, a bond servant or a slave, realize that when they became a freed person again, they didn't really have the skill or the means to provide for themselves or their family. And they realized that they loved serving the master that they'd been serving. And so they would choose to become a bond servant. So at this point, they're freed, but they say, I choose to stay with you. I choose to be your servant master because my life is better with you. And so they would normally, sometimes they would like poke a hole in the ear or do something, you know, they, they'd do some sort of piercing or whatever, but there'd be some sort of a physical marker on the person to show that they were a bond servant of this master. And the intention was you were that for life. You know, until the master died or the bond servant died, you would serve for life. Could you technically leave it? Yes, you could, I mean, you could, you know, nullify the arrangement, but normally it was something that you were for life. You've bonded yourself to that master for life. And that's the word that Jude uses here. So even in his greeting, he starts off with saying, you know, Jude, from Jude, a bondservant of Christ. There's kind of a challenge there for us, isn't there? Really asking us, what does our relationship with Jesus look like? It's not in the outline, so, you know, hang with me. This is, this is kind of a bonus point. If we call ourselves Christians and Christ followers, are we following him through religious habits and rituals only? Or are we dedicated to him above everything else? It's a question we have to wrestle with. Have we satisfied the technicalities of being saved? Sort of the theological technicalities of being saved, but yet we're not living by the Spirit of what God has called us to. If that's where we are, we have to wrestle with, are we still a lawbreaker? Are we still separated from God? Are we like Jude, a bond sermon? If not, we need to wrestle through these two, this two-week series because odds are we're living in a lot of gray. See, I told you, Jude, Jude like right to it. So apart from that challenge right out of the gate, Jude tells us the key to getting out of the gray. I mean, right up front, again, he gives us the key to getting out of the gray, and it's right there in verse 3. He says, we must contend for the faith. And the Greek word, it's a long one, so I've got to read it here. Epagonizomai. Do you want me to help you? You want, me to, you want to say it with me? Epagonizomai. Can you try it? Epag what I've noticed with my children, and I'm not treating you like my children, so just bear with me. What I've noticed with my son, like we did this little Bible study at home and, and, and I, I made him say the Greek word and it like took him like seven times. But once he got it, now he says it all the time. You know, I'll be like, so what is that? He's like, Delius. And I'm like, what is that? Sophronismo. I'm like, yes. <laughs> Honestly, he's going to know Greek way better than me because I don't even remember those. Uh, but epagonizomai, try it, epagonizomai. Yeah, just because it's weird to say, you're going to remember it. So, epagonizomai, it means to struggle for the faith, to fight for the faith. Now, when you first hear that and you hear Jude say, fight for the faith, our first impression or the first image that probably comes to your mind is somebody out with a sword and a shield or somebody standing on the corner of the street telling people, turn or burn, right? If you die today, if you step off this curve and you get hit by a car, are you going to hell? You know, I mean, you, you, I mean, that's the image sometimes that we have of contending for the faith, right? That is not what Jude is saying. Jude is saying contend for the faith. 
That doesn't contend for someone to come to faith by pushing theology or arguing with them about where they are. Now, sometimes we do need a two by four, right? Okay, so we'll trust that those people, they're following the Lord's lead and he's gonna only bring those people to them that need two by fours. That's great. We'll trust their heart and their intent and their motive was to, to contend for the faith. But the image that we need to have in our, in our hearts and in our minds when we hear Jude say contend for the faith is how are we sharing what God has done and what God has taught in such a way that when people hear it, it contrasts the world they live in so that they come to faith. You're contending for faith. You're deliberately putting truth out there so that people will believe. We need to contend for the faith. And in order to do that, we need to know God deeply. We need to know him deeply. We need to know him in his word, and we need to know him experientially. And that doesn't happen once a week, okay? It doesn't happen for an hour and a half once a week. So for those of you who are in the very beginning of the journey, this is not an invitation to like get all wrapped up in church programs and all kinds of things. It's not. But it is an invitation And it's a challenge for us to say, on a daily basis, how much do I really think about God? How much do I? I'll be honest, it's real easy not to. Until you come around to Saturday and be like, oh, crud, man, I got to go hang out with all those churchy people. (laughs) Got to somehow convince them that I I wasn't just doing crazy stuff all week. And, you know, the the hangover from last night's still not quite worn off. So, uh, you know, but, but you get it, right? You get it, it's easy in our world to drift away. And he says, contend for the faith. You're not protecting the religion. You are living in such a way that every aspect of what you do reveals the truth so that others come to faith. If you know anything about athletes, those that we might consider world-class athletes, we'd call them, starts with a C. We've already said part of the word. Okay, champions is a word that starts with C. We didn't say that word yet, but very good. It's, I'll give you credit for that. Okay, good sir. Um, I could have been a... Oh, thank you. Somebody's old enough to remember that. <laughs> Guess I, I'm with you, okay? So, but contender. If people who are athletes that we call contenders, they have a singular focus, don't they? They don't have time. And I remember growing up, you know, those people who were contenders, this is the first point on your outline in case you missed it. Contenders have a singular focus. They don't have time to think about anything else. They, have to, they don't have time to focus on anything else. That is their life. And if they're going to be good at what they do, it's everything that they eat, sleep, and dream is that. I mean, prime example, Michael Phelps. He spent his whole life eat, sleeping, and dreaming, swimming. He becomes the most decorated Olympian. And then what happens to his life? When that wasn't there, there was nothing else. He had a singular focus. And it took a believing friend to come alongside him and be like, yo, Mike, let's get things back on the rails here. And once he did that, he was able to go on and be even more decorated. But after that, the wheels didn't come off. Why? because he's wrestling about contending for something else. And I'm excited. I'm, I'm encouraged. I, I hope to see what happens with the rest of his journey, because if he brings all of that focus that he has as an athlete to his faith, it'd be a real interesting road. 
Contenders have a singular focus. Do we have a singular focus on God's teaching? As we go into each day of our life, as we go into work, into school, into our relationships, hang out with our family, we have a singular focus on God's teaching and the truth that he has given us. Do we do the hard work of knowing his word and keeping his teaching in front of people, connecting it to real life examples? So this is contending, connecting it to real life examples so that people go, oh, that, that's what you mean, or that's what God meant. Oh, well, yeah, that makes sense. If we're committed to that, then we have no room for gray. We have no room for gray. Because by the time we're contending, by the time we know enough, by the time we're examining and letting that be a part of our life enough, there's no room for gray. The contrast will be clear. And, and you know, I know Gilbert pays attention to these things. You know, Bill and I did not wear the same jeans this week. Uh, yeah, so we did actually wear different jeans. And, and Gil and I are not wearing the same sweater. But, you know, I'm, I'm, such a, I'm such a crazy, you know, artistic personality. Like, notice the, the black and the white. Yeah, I had to do it. I couldn't wear it. Last week I wore gray. This week I wore, you know, sometimes you'll see at Christmas I wear a red sock and a blue sock, or a red sock and a green sock, not blue. What am I thinking? It's LED lights have messed me up. I'm telling you, they really have. So that brings us to our second point. Desire, entitlement, and ego derail discernment. I'll say that again. Desire, entitlement, and ego derail discernment. I'm going to pick up at verse 8. And if you haven't read Jude all the way through, I'm hitting some highlights of verses this week. Go back and read the verses in between because they're very, very important. But desire, entitlement, and ego derail discernment. Jude goes on and he explains a little bit of, of what he's talking about when he talks about these people who have worked their way in among the community that are gray. But he says this in verse 8, In the very same way these dreamers pollute their own bodies. They reject authority and slander celestial beings. But even the archangel Michael, when he was disputing with the devil about the body of Moses, did not dare bring a slanderous accusation against him, he, the, the devil. But he said, The Lord rebuke you. Yet these people speak abusively against whatever they do not understand. And what things they do understand by instinct, like unreasoning animals, these are the very things that destroy them. Woe to them. They have taken the way of Cain. They have rushed for profit into Balaam's error. They have been destroyed in Korah's rebellion. And for those of you who don't know those three stories, take that to your small group. Take that to your discussions this week. Take that into your time and, and go back and look. You know, who was Cain? Who was Balaam? Who was Korah? And what happened? Because he's connecting an attitude that these people have that, that is the same as these stories. And it'll become really powerful to you to understand that. These men are blemishes at your love feasts, eating with you without the slightest qualm, shepherds who feed only themselves, clouds without rain, blowing along by the wind. That sounds familiar, doesn't it? From last week. Remember? They're clouds without rain, blown along by the wind, autumn trees without fruit, and uprooted, twice dead. That's such a powerful picture to me. They're wild waves of the sea, foaming up their shame, wandering stars for whom the blackest darkness has been reserved forever. Enoch, the seventh from Adam, prophesied about these men. See, the Lord is coming with thousands upon thousands of his holy ones to judge everyone, to convict all the ungodly of all the ungodly acts they've done, in the ungodly way, and of all the harsh words and ungodly sinners have spoken against him. 
And I'll read 16 just because. These men are grumblers and fault finders. They follow their own desires. They boast about themselves and flatter others for their own advantage. we've, We've met people like this, right? And if we're honest, we've been these people, haven't we? I mean, let's, let's be really honest. Because we cannot step out of the gray if we're not honest with where we've been and what we do. Without the singular focus, we become distracted. Without the singular focus of a contender, we become self-interested, we become self-protective, and we lose sight of God's truth. Worse yet, we'll marry God's truth together with all kinds of ideologies from around the world, all kinds of nice-sounding ideas, And we'll blend them together, sometimes even connecting the dots to try and make it make sense against what God has taught. And we'll create and we'll validate gray. Whenever desire, entitlement, and ego come in, we create and we validate the gray. And when we go gray, it becomes a lot harder it becomes a lot harder to tell the difference between good and evil. Because when we go gray, we lose contrast, don't we? I mean, think about any picture that you have in your family history where it was underexposed. It becomes a lot harder to make out the faces and what's going on in that picture because the gray overwhelms it. There's no contrast. There's no clarity. If you find yourself more often wrestling and debating with yourself about what's the right thing to do in this situation. And it's not from the sense of like, I want to do the right thing, but you're just, you're worried. You know, is this, is this going to be good? Is this going to work out okay? Am I going to come out on top of this one? If you find yourself waffling all the time and wrestling with how to make decisions, I encourage you to take a hard look because you might be swimming in gray. And if you are, get a friend. I mean, I'm assuming you have friends, but get, get a friend <laughs> Get a friend who's wise. You know, don't just grab any friend because you could, yeah, I mean, you could grab a guy off the street and be like, hey, you want a cup of coffee? Yeah, you're my new best friend. That, that doesn't mean that they're wise, you know. Get a wise friend, bring them alongside, get wise counsel, get some perspective on where you are and what you're wrestling through because most of all, even wise counsel can't help you. Most of all, you need to get something in you to help you get clarity, and that's going to be God's word. You need to get this inside of you, in your heart and in your mind, so that you can see more clearly what it is that God has taught and how he looks at the situation. Now, you're not necessarily going to look in the Bible and say, you know, okay, well, what did God say about, you know, Nate having overdue taxes and having to pay an extra 5% because the automatic payment didn't go through and he had to show up at the township building on Friday? It wasn't me, actually. It was a coworker of mine. So, but it's just, just real easy to pull that story in there. Uh, but, you know... So the Bible's not going to say that. You know, okay, so on Tuesday, when you go to the tax office, because the automatic deposit didn't work. No, but there are going to be stories, there are going to be principles in here that you read, and you go, oh, that connects with where I'm at. That connects with the decision I'm having to make, and I need to have integrity. And if you know, there was some sort of machine failure, and they choose not to give me grace, it was my responsibility to make sure the payment was in, I'll pay the 5%. It's that simple. It, it becomes that clear. Instead of waffling in the grave, how do I get out of this? How do I keep from paying the extra money? You know what? Just own it. Own it. It's yours. That is when life starts to become a little bit clearer instead of waffling around in the gray. And that's just one example. But that brings us to the next point because we must intentionally do this next thing if we're going to get out of the gray. We must intentionally know and grow what we believe. 
must intentionally know and grow what you believe. Look at verses 20 and 21. But you, dear friends, build yourselves up in your most holy faith and pray in the Holy Spirit. Keep yourselves in God's love as you wait for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ to bring you to eternal life. We must know and grow. We must build ourselves up in the knowledge of who God is and the knowledge of his word. Now it says pray in the Holy Spirit. This is a little bonus point again. Uh, there, there are people who are going to maybe give you ideas that praying in the Spirit has some sort of like funky you know, thing that goes on and you know what. Just get wise counsel. Praying in the Holy Spirit in context, just reading the word and understanding what the word says means that instead of going to God with your list of requests, you're actually there long enough and care enough about the relationship to listen and allow the Holy Spirit to lead what you should be asking or talking to God about, okay? It's not any more complicated than that. Anybody who lays anything more on top of that, they are adding doctrine, they are adding human experience to it, okay? Take the simplicity of it. You will be led by the Holy Spirit if you are if you are willing to pull back and say, God, lead me. Because prayer is a conversation. It's not just about my, my wish list and my want list. That's the bonus point. All right, so know and grow what you believe. As you know and you grow what you believe, you'll also be able to better discern God's direction toward what is good. And that happens in any circumstance. You'll also begin to see and be passionate about what is truth, and you'll want others to know the truth that you've been learning too. It, 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 it helps you contend for the faith. When you know and you grow what you believe, it actually helps you contend for the faith because you see it more clearly, you see how it applies, and you can make more realistic, more tangible applications that people go, oh, well, that makes sense. Let me give you a very simple example. This is Dandy Blend. Commercial time, ready? No, I'm just kidding. So, we had a friend who had Lyme disease, okay? She loved coffee. But in working with her doctor and her naturalist in order to get healed from the Lyme disease, which she is now, uh, she was not allowed to drink coffee. So she had to find something that she could drink that sort of tasted like coffee. Enter Dandy Blend. Uh, you know, something her nutritionist recommended. And so they come to visit and she shares with me, you know, I was like, what is that? Like Dandy Blend? Like, it even looks funky when you're like, like uh, you kind of wonder why there's a weed on there. Because and and, it is dandelion, you know? It is, there's dandelion in here. And so she explains, you know, the benefits of dandelion. And, you know, it's actually, it's dandelion. It's roasted chicory. Uh, it's um, uh, beet, uh, beet juice and, um, what's the other thing? Uh, roasted barley. They're just four simple ingredients. And she starts explaining. I'm like, okay, yeah, whatever, you know? So, well, I'm not having a good time with coffee and caffeine myself. So I start exploring. I'm like, okay. So I did some research, you know? pull up, you know, dandelions. Oh my word, dandelions are incredible. As long as you don't spray them with glyphosate and Roundup and all that crud. You know, don't, the ones you have kill, tried to kill in your yard, don't use those because they're poisoned. But natural dandelions, if you eat, they're really good for you. It's amazing. I was like, wow. And, and so I, the more research I did, the more I was like, oh, okay, well, I'm going to try this stuff. So I started drinking Dandy Blend and I felt great on it. And I was like, wow. So then I'm sitting there having a cup of Dandy Blend around the table. <laughs> And my daughter, <laughs> my daughter's like, Why, do you like that? And I'm like, yeah, you want to try it? She's like, oh, this is really good. And she goes, I've got a slogan. I was like, what? She goes, I've got a slogan. 
Don't kill yourself with coffee. Heal yourself with Dandy Blend. <laughs> Not prompted. I didn't prompt that from her. But so it's that simple, though. I mean, it goes from somebody coming over to our house and saying, hey, you know what? I'm, I'm drinking this because I have, you know, I'm fighting something and I need to get better. And it leads to a curiosity. And I do the research. I'm like, oh, there's something to that. And then I feel good on it. This is exactly what it's like when we talk about contending for the faith. The more we know and grow our, what we believe, the easier it is for us to bring it to people in a way that they go, I, I need to know more about that. Now, I don't know that we want slogans about Jesus, like if life is gray and you need it. Just, we don't need, I'm not going to finish it. You know? <laughs> I don't know that we need slogans about Jesus. I mean, we've had plenty of those with the frog and the WWJD and all that kind of stuff. But what we need is, is real life examples where people can connect the truth and go, oh, hey, I need to know more about that. So it's that simple to contend for the faith. And, and I've got to share this with you because the church and those who believe we are not a fortress, we are not some castle on a hill that has to be protected from the world. We are not a fortress, afraid of the forces of the world. We're supposed to be a force to be reckoned with because God Almighty is the one who has breathed life into the community and is taking his truth and his kingdom into the world to overrun the cultures that are destroying people with a culture that brings life to people. That is what the attitude that we're supposed to have, not the, oh boy, somebody weird came in this morning and so we can't talk to them because they may not be a Christian. Hello? <laughs> what does it matter with us? You know, oh, we can't sing rock and roll music because it's not sacred. You know, come on. What it, where have we gone off the rails? Our, our experience with God is what is, makes anything sacred. Our experience with God is what makes anything sacred. And a moment we have to contend for the faith, eyeball to eyeball with somebody, guess what? That's a sacred moment. Because the Spirit of the Lord is in that moment. Remember Moses. I mean, if you, if you remember Moses, God says he's in the burning bush and he says, take off your sandals. Because where you're standing is holy ground. That moment was sacred. Was the rock that he stood on sacred forever and ever after that? Not necessarily. I'm sure nobody went like, hey, look, this is the rock Moses took a sandal off. You know, there's Moses' sweat on it. You know, it must be sacred. There's, that is not. What was sacred was the moment with God. What is sacred is the moment with God. Sometimes we need help. As, even as we know and we grow our faith, sometimes we need help. Sometimes if we are stuck in the gray... We need help. I'm going to read this next verse to you, and then we're going to play a quick clip, and I'm going to see if you can guess what the next point in your outline is. Verse 23, or 22 and 23, actually. Be merciful to those who doubt. Snatch others from the fire and save them. To others show mercy mixed with fear, hating even the clothing stained by corrupted flesh. Take a moment and watch. Hearken to me. I release you from this spell. 
I have to say that's my personal favorite moment of all of the Lord of the Rings. So welcome to my nerddom. Can you guess the next part of your outline? There may be moments we need some help. Jude tells us mercy and maybe even exorcism can help. Now, I'm not recommending that you walk around with a wizard staff and start, you know, trying to throw people, you know, force push somebody back against the, you know, a wall or whatever. That, that is not the point of that clip. Jude reminds us that contending for the faith is not about winning arguments. It's not about winning arguments. It's not about protecting cultural habits. It's about rescuing and sometimes wrestling hard to rescue people from the gray. If you notice, and I'm not going to dissect that clip too much, but you notice what he says? You have no power here, Gandalf Gray. And in the story, if you know the Loder timeline in the story, Gandalf goes from being Gandalf the Gray, who sort of wandered, and he was unpredictable, and nobody really knew when Gandalf was going to show up. He goes through this massive battle and becomes Gandalf the White. And Saruman the White, who was the white wizard, he was supposed to be the one who stood against the evil in Middle-earth. He ends up giving himself over to Sauron, the bad guy. And he goes gray as Gandalf becomes white. And that moment in the whole movie series is actually the turning point to display that and say, the one who's walking the way that he should be is Gandalf. And Gandalf is moved with compassion to go and rescue Theoden because Theoden has been corrupted. Theoden has been possessed, if you will, by Saruman. It's hard because they're both S's. Saruman, Sauron. Don't get caught up in that. But he, notice how he approaches it. 
He approaches with mercy for Theoden. He, he approaches aggressively, but he approaches with mercy. And he has confidence that as he tries to rescue Theoden, there is no harm that's going to come to Theoden. Why? Because he knows the enemy is already defeated. He knows the enemy does not have the power to kill because the enemy couldn't kill him. Folks, that's what we have with Jesus. Jesus was not killed by the enemy. He gave up his life so that we could share in his life and share in his power. And when we go and we share in mercy with people the truth of God's word, we may have struggle. We may have to contend strongly for the faith. We may even have to do as Jude says. We may need to pull somebody out from in front of a car, metaphorically speaking. Or literally speaking, we may have to pull somebody out from in front of a train wreck that is coming and reason with them after because they've been so swept up by the gray. That is what we're being asked to do by Jude. Contend for the faith. Contend for those who are doubting. Contend so that we have the opportunity to see clearly what is good and what is not. And then Jude brings us back to one element of of encouragement to finish it out. This is your last point. In verses 24 and 25, he says, to him who is able to keep you from falling and to present you before his glorious presence without fault and with great joy, to the only God and our Savior be glory, majesty, power, and authority through Jesus Christ our Lord before all ages now and forevermore. Amen. Your last point is Teflon living comes from contending, not pretending. Teflon living comes from contending, not pretending. When we bond ourselves to Jesus, when God is our first priority and his teaching is embedded and growing inside of our hearts and in our minds, we begin to live in such a way that we stand for what is good and right and true and we can connect it to those real life examples. We can contend for the faith and then we're able to discern And we're able to follow God's leading and his spirit. If we trust God and rely on him, it's he who keeps us from stumbling and falling. That's the encouragement. That's the encouragement. It's not us walking around as spiritual gunslingers, you know, trying to save people. It's not winning arguments and trying to convince people. It is walking in the power and the leading of God. And he will cause us to stand. He will carry us along and he will draw others to faith. A lot of this is really us being willing and us doing the hard work to maintain our relationship with God. You cannot, be, you cannot pretend to be a Christ follower by keeping rules, by protecting rituals, and dogmatically browbeating people with scripture. Or even by blending up all the ideologies and just sounding like you've got a really nice religious way of living. You cannot be a Christ follower that way because none of that is what God has taught. And none of it is contending for faith in him. It is just clouds without rain, autumn trees without fruit, uprooted and twice dead. That's such a powerful image because if we live in the gray, we become Trees without fruit, uprooted and twice dead. Think about that for a minute. Trees that bear no fruit have no future. And trees that are uprooted have no present. That's why they're twice dead. 
When I said we need to make a decision today, we need to make a decision on what we are rooting our life in and what is having the opportunity to bear fruit in our life. Will you allow that to be God's word? Will you allow that to be the teachings that God has given us through the Bible? Will you come out of the gray? Real practically, I just want to ask you, what do you need to do? What do you need to do to take your next step and come out of the gray? Only you know it. You can write it down on your Connect card. You can, you know, just jot a note for yourself on your outline, take it home with you. What do you need to do? What wise counsel do you need to get? And if you know somebody who's wise and can give wise counsel, go, get, go, go spend time with them. If you don't, start praying about God to bring somebody into your life who can do that. Where have you been hesitating to speak the truth and love to somebody? Or maybe you've been speaking the truth without a whole lot of love. Where do you need to start to contend for the faith with the love and the grace of God? Gilbert says this quite often, and I, I agree. I encourage you, if you're not part of a small group, join a small group. You know, there's nothing magical about a small group in the sense of like, ooh, I'm a small group person now. I must be really a Christian. It, it's not that. But it's about being in the presence of others so that you are sharpened, that you are knowing and growing intentionally what you believe so that you can better contend for the faith. Join a small group. Have some one-on-one -on -one time with somebody who can, maybe is a few steps ahead of you on the journey. And do whatever you can to get to know God's word more. I'll share with you, you know, I've been in, I've been in ministry for over 20 years. And of all the time that I've spent studying the Bible, I can tell you honestly, I have never actually completed reading the whole Bible in a year. Okay, so true, true confessions. Ready? I've read probably most of it, if not like 90-some percent of it. I've studied it all the way through, through seminary, so technically in seminary we covered it all. But to actually sit and read it all in one year, never been able to do that. I'm actually back on a journey again, and guess what? I'm eight days behind. <laughs> I was challenged by a friend who's already ahead of me, and now I'm eight days behind already being behind him. But I share that with you to say, look, this is not about getting discouraged. You know, it's not like you start out and you go, oh, well, I'm eight days behind, so I won't do it anymore. You, you intentionally know and grow what you believe. So I'm going to make up those eight days. I'm going to keep my commitment. That's what you need to do. Say, Lord, you are more important than anything else. And then follow through on it and allow the Lord to start to teach you and grow you. So whatever your step is this week, whatever your step is for this year, I pray that the Lord would lead and guide you and help you to put that stake in the ground, make that commitment to know and grow what you believe so that you can become a contender for the faith and people will come to know Jesus because of you. My prayer is that in our culture, the gray will become nothing as people see clearly what is good and what is not. Let's pray. Father, thank you that you see it all and that above all else, you know everything. And because you know everything and you know all of history, you know what plays out ultimately as good and what plays out ultimately as evil. God, you are the only one who has the perspective to lead and to guide us and to help us understand. I pray, Father, that by your Holy Spirit, you would, you would challenge our hearts and draw our hearts into a commitment with you to say, I want to know you. I need to see with that level of clarity 
so that I don't live in this gray place anymore. For those, Lord, who've been wrestling in a gray place and they, they already are trying to follow you, but it's just, I pray, God, you would encourage them this morning, lift them up, and if it takes a Gandalf moment where they're battling through something and you show them how you've grown them and transformed them, I pray, Lord, you would bring them through that and show them your power. And for those of us who, who struggle on a daily basis just to, to trust you, God, draw us into your power and your grace. Help us to have the confidence and the knowledge that you've got this. And for all of us, Lord, give us a hunger to know you more and to know your word and have it take root in our hearts. We thank you, Father. We praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.